When I got on the phone and, and, and called back, I, I spoke to Antonio's sister. And the way she expressed herself was the family and her were almost frantic and scared. And obviously certain concerned with Antonio who was in the hospital coming in and out of consciousness. Um, but I took from her voice and the tone of her voice that she really didn't believe that her brother could have been driving that car. Um, she said that, hey, listen, he's a big guy. Uh, I can't believe from where he was thrown from the vehicle, he could have been in the driver's seat. She seemed to suggest as well that uh, it just didn't make sense to her that he would drive Kareem's car. And then when I heard Kareem's car, I go, wow, it was Kareem's car. And they were both impaired. To me, it didn't really make sense why Antonio then would be driving Kareem's car. From Ontario's personal injury law firm, McLeish Orlando, this is Behind the Suit, a plaintiff's journey. Hi, everyone. My name is Lindsay, and I'm a partner here at McLeish Orlando. And today, Patrick Brown, a principal partner at our firm, and Nick Todorovic, another partner at our firm, are joining us on our show. Hey, Lindsay. (laughs) Hi, Lindsay. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us, guys. So today on our show, I would love to talk with you guys about an intake I was looking at from several years ago because it had just a very fascinating set of facts. And I wondered if it was something that we ended up taking on. So for all of those viewers out there that are not aware of what an intake is, it's it's essentially just information that the injured person or their family member provides to our office after they've experienced some sort of personal injury accident. So it could be about what happened or the injuries they've sustained. So this is what the exact intake was from that day, which I found to be very interesting. So Antonio's in the hospital. He was in and out of coma. He has a brain injury, broken neck and multiple contusions and lacerations across his body. He doesn't remember anything. The car hit a pole, went down an embankment, rolled, ejected Antonio and his friend Kareem from the car. Antonio has no memory of what happened. They both had been drinking. Kareem had said that Antonio was driving. The police are still investigating this. They'd gone to a few places beforehand. They may have been drinking. I don't know. Antonio's a carpet layer. The family's all very scared. I mean, they're not sure if Antonio's ever going to work again. So, Pat, (laughs) on this intake, did you guys end up taking this case on? You think we didn't, but we did. (laughs) We took that case, Lindsay. I do remember it well. Obviously, it's a tough case, especially when you read that intake. When I got on the phone and and, and called back, I, I spoke to Antonio's sister. And the way she expressed herself was the family and her were almost frantic and scared. Obviously, certain concerned with Antonio who was in the hospital coming in and out of consciousness. Um, but I took from her voice and the tone of her voice that she really didn't believe that her brother could have been driving that car. Um, she said that, hey, listen, he's a big guy. Uh, I can't believe from where he was thrown from the vehicle, he could have been in the driver's seat. She seemed to suggest as well that uh, it just didn't make sense to her that he would drive Kareem's car. And then when I heard Kareem's car, I go, wow, it was Kareem's car. And they were both impaired To me, it didn't really make sense why Antonio then would be driving Karim's car. 
So it had some sense in there, and it just, my gut told me, hmm, something doesn't seem right here. And of course, Krim's going to point the finger at Antonio. Antonio has no memory. Um, Krim's first utterance to the police was, it's him. And so from that standpoint, there's no doubt uh, that we had an uphill battle, but my gut told me to go for it. Okay, so you've got this incredibly tough case where your client has no memory. You've got a potential defendant's first words saying, Antonio was driving. How are you going to win this, Pat? Uh, You don't win anything on your own. You win it with a team, and we have a team approach. And so our first thing is to get the team together, assign their task, start digging. I mean, stories are told one page at a time. And at that point in time, we're at page one. And we really had to find out the story, and that's what the team was going to do. Okay, so what's kind of the playbook that your team takes uh, after they get an intake like this? Mm, Playbook. Um, Lindsay, there's no set playbook for any case. So every playbook's different, and obviously depends on, on the facts that are coming in on that intake. But I can tell you the one thing I always do is I talk to Nick, or another lawyer. And in this one, I would have, I went to talk to Nick and I said, Hey, Nick, I just got this. I tell him the information that you just read. And I say, what do you think? Um, and then together we sit down and we try to develop a plan together. I think the one thing that I, I fear if you're on your own and you're the only lawyer looking at the case, you may have a goal or a, an intention of winning. And, and all of a sudden you yourself get blinders on and you only see one thing and you can't see outside of that. And that can take you into some places where you might not win. So what you need is another set of eyes and someone to work with together. And that's what we do. And that's what we did on this case. And um, that's how we approach it. So Nick, Pat tells you about this case. You've heard the tough facts. Did you think Pat had his blinders on or what did you think about when you heard this case? Well, I said, this is going to be an uphill battle and we better strap in. Um, I did agree with Pat that we should take the case, though, given how badly injured he was and he really needed help. The family needed help. So we had to really get deep in on this. And right off the bat, you got to make sure your team is set up and ready to go. So your law clerks, your assistants, your accident benefits team, they all have to be ready to go right at the very start within the first 24 to 48 hours to get all the information ready to go. So like the law clerk is generally going to be leading the charge and making sure that the file gets set up properly. Uh, The assistant then comes in and makes all the requests to get all the documents relating to liability, like the MVA report, uh, talking to the police to get any police records that we can get. The clerk then does the searches of all the drivers to do the background checks with the MTO and get their driver searches, plate searches, VIN searches. And then from there, we try to see if we can get access to any types of videos or photos or, you know, ambulance call reports, medical records to see exactly what the extent of the injuries are. And that's, that's the start of it. That's how we get the file all set up. And then we go from there. So it sounds like you've got this large team who's really trying to marshal the evidence, anything they can get into their hands to figure out what happened here. But besides getting these kind of standard, what sounds like standard records, what else do you do, Pat? That's a good question. I mean, as Nick says, we want the records, but the records don't always tell the story as well. The records are coming from the police, so the police do their investigation, but I would never trust fully a police investigation. I want to do my own. Sometimes they don't tell the full story or a partial story, or sometimes they have their blinders on. 
So what we do is we hire a private investigator. And certainly evidence dissolves fast on the scene. So the sooner you can get that private investigator out to start knocking on doors, looking for witnesses, finding if there's any other things on the scene that can be seen, going and knocking on the storefronts to see if there's videos or videos on the traffic cameras. And so we have a guy named Terry. Terry's a former cop. Uh, Terry's a grizzled old guy that, well, he's not that old. He wouldn't like that. But um, Terry is a grizzled guy that really gets down to it. It finds me that stuff. And so I sent out Terry. So Terry goes out and he's trying to find all this information. We're trying to show that Antonio wasn't the driver. Now I'm on the edge of my seat here, Pat. What did he get? <laughs> I'd love to say Terry came back. It's always exciting when Terry comes back and he says, you won't believe what I got. And, and you sit down and you find it and it's it can be exciting. And unfortunately on this one, Terry came up with very little he came back and he said, uh, Pat, no video cameras uh, that I could do from any storefront. No video I saw from the traffic cameras. Uh, canvas the area, he left a brochure trying to get witnesses. Nothing was coming up. There was one witness on a balcony that it was able to find. And um, unfortunately, that particular witness really only saw after the crash and offered very little information, especially about the key elements of who was driving and how the crash occurred. And But the one thing good Terry does do for me, because he's a former cop, um, is he gets into that door to talk to the cops and see what they're doing and see what they're looking at. And he came back to me and he goes, hey, Pat, uh, you should be concerned. They think Antonio's driving. So you've got someone that has the inside ear of the police and they think Antonio could be the driver. That sounds pretty bad for, for Antonio here. Were you concerned about this at all? Very much so. Obviously, as soon as I hear it, I'm concerned. I mean, Antonio can't remember anything that's going on. Clearly, we've got a vehicle that's crashed. People have been seriously injured, uh, Karim. Um, and at the same time, there's alcohol involved. So I'm concerned about Antonio on a lot of different fronts, not just the case. So from that standpoint, my, my first instinct is I, I got to get him a criminal lawyer. Yeah, this this arsenal of a team, a big team going. You've got your your Terry's in it, your law clerks, your legal assistants, yourself. Um, why is it that you know Pat or Nick? Why, why didn't you guys just handle the criminal side of this? Well, we're we're very specialized civil lawyers. We deal with personal injury. We're very good at what we do when it comes to personal injury, and we deal with very high level, complicated cases. This is equally a high level, complicated criminal case. And we know that that has to be dealt with by a very specialized criminal lawyer as well that can make sure that he can get rid of this charge. Because if it's determined that our client was driving that car, it's going to make this case even harder to deal with than it already is. So we know when we have to pass that off to the right counsel to deal with it um, and, and help us. So it sounded like you wanted the best of the best for Antonio and his family and just decided to say, uh, you know, Jack of all trades, master of none here. Did this all pay off hiring the criminal lawyer for Antonio? Yeah, it did. Uh, we ended up getting him off the charges and, you know, we, we could move forward now dealing with this very difficult liability case, but not having to worry about that aspect of it. And we can now move on with proving that Kareem was actually in the driver's seat. So luckily no charges or convictions against Antonio, but you have Terry saying the police still think it was Antonio and you have got no witnesses. It sounds like potentially maybe someone on the balcony. How are you going to prove Antonio wasn't driving? 
Well, we had a few other cards to play, Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what? What were they? Well, in cases like this, uh, we get forensic engineers involved, especially with uh, very complicated collisions that involve all these crazy physics and rotations and weird damage to the car. And you want to make sure that you set it up right by getting that engineer out right from the get-go. And how do you do that? Well, I mean, right out the gate, you got to make sure that they get to the scene. You got to give them all the information that they have. You got to make sure that they can map out the scene. Um, if you get them out early enough, you can actually still get fresh evidence right at the scene in terms of gouge marks on the roadway or markings on trees or anything like that and they may be able to uh, see something that the police may not have uh, also you want to make sure that they get access to black boxes if they are available in these cars with this one it was a little too old it was, it was uh, a bit of a beater car and so the black box didn't exist so that was a little that was a dead end for us but you want them to inspect that car because in some cases you lose these cars they send them right off to the to the to the dump to get cubed and then you've lost your evidence so you want to make sure that you do that right away and get that scene analysis completed and then from there you can start piecing together with all of these different puzzle pieces how this actually happened so you add a forensic engineer to your team here it sounds like timing's critical because of as pat was saying at the beginning of this kind of discussion evidence dissolves quick did this all pay off for for your case pat well, certainly, as Nick's indicated, we got them out early enough so that they they got to the car before it was crushed, and they were able to get some scene diagrams that were decent and good. And I think from our standpoint, of course, where we're really focusing on is who was driving. And I think the first thing that I remember getting back from them is we knew that Antonio was a big boy, um, and um, based on the rotation or the roll of the car, uh, they really did find that it would have been difficult uh, based on the location and where everyone was, that uh, Antonio would have rolled out of the driver's side and out of the passenger side. Because what they found was the nobody came out the driver's side. They both came out of the passenger side door. So that was the first thing. I mean, there were some other things as well, like the rotation of the cars. They looked at how it was rotating and then where Antonio was found unconscious on the scene was important. And then as well, where Krim was located. And again, uh, they thought that that was a little more consistent with um, Antonio being in the passenger seat um, than, than Krim. So I guess you, you've got, like, as you said, more consistent evidence with Antonio being in this passenger seat, but you still don't have a smoking gun. Was there anything else that these engineers uncovered for you guys? Uh, I'll give this one to Nick because he, he likes this and uh, <laughs> I, I did too, but I'm going to hand that over to Nick. Well, uh, the one thing that we have to make sure that we do in these, when we're examining these uh, vehicles is literally with a fine tooth comb try to figure out any aspect of the car that may not have been there before the collision. Um, in some cases, like it, when some, a driver says he's driving at night, it's too dark, he didn't see the plaintiff, hits the plaintiff, and you ask him if he had the lights on, you take a look at the pictures of the interior of the car. If, if they did an investigation, you can look at the dash and see if the lights were on or off. A lot of people may not even think to look for that when you're investigating. In this particular instance, in the pictures, us and the engineer, we, we saw that there's uh, red fibers on the e-brake and it's 
on the driver's side. And so we wanted to ask the engineer if, like, how did this happen? And if they could do some analysis on that by picking up some of the fibers, taking pictures of it, doing more analysis. And um, it turns out that it was left there by someone wearing likely red pants, jeans, or well, you know, khakis or whatever the case may be. So it sounds like the color of them pants was important factor that your engineer brought to your attention, Pat. Yeah, red pants. I don't know if there's red khakis, but certainly red pants was what he was saying, and that's what we'd be looking for. And we knew both because we would have already got Antonio's clothing to be preserved, and we knew that he w- he didn't have red pants. Um, so one of the things we get to do in any case, is we get to examine under oath the defendant. And that's where they come in and and they have to testify under oath and answer our questions. It's called a discovery here in in the United States. When you hear it on TV, it's called depositions, uh, but we do that. So we had the opportunity of examining Karim. We're going to do a lot of things with Karim in relation to his credibility and attack that. Uh, But the one thing was a critical question was, hey, Karim, what pants were you wearing? And uh, when Karim said red pants, it was kind of one of those gotcha moments. I got it under oath. I got that admission. And Nick had, as you indicated, we had the forensic engineers with the red pants. So bang on. Nice. So you got red fibers. You've got under oath, red pants, parking brake. What does this all mean for you, Nick? When you put it all together, um, it means that Kareem was driving that car. At least it, is, it, it helps establish our theory of the case that given the rotation, given the, two, the size of the two guys, that he was wearing red pants and that the, how the physics of the crash happened, he had to be in the driver's seat and our client had to be in the passenger seat. And that's how we kept going forward. And, um, yeah, everything started looking a lot more clear for us as we kept going forward with this case. So did defense counsel actually accept your engineering evidence or were there other steps that you then had to continue to take from there on that standpoint? Well, obviously they wouldn't accept that. It's always going to be a contentious issue, but we had, we felt we had more than they did. Uh, one issue was they were saying our client's not credible, uh, because he had a past history as well. He's not, uh, he's not an angel and neither is Karim. Uh, so, but one of the things that I thought was a bit of a slip up was, uh, Karim was allowed to be examined twice. He was under oath giving so evidence twice. Correct. Right. For examinations for discovery. And the lawyer just let the same questions be asked of him twice and all I had to do is go through the discovery transcript and compare every single question and find every single inconsistency. And I, I could fill pages and pages of it. And that was used to attack his credibility as well. And on top of that, what we do is we also, to, to build up our case, we had sued the bars. And so we, we needed to, uh, where they had gone to drink and we needed to attack that as well and try to cr- create liability on those establishments. So is, is that because Antonio was just so incredibly injured that he needed every dollar of an insurance policy to satisfy his damages that you started looking at that? Well, again, when in, with an intake, you have to cover all your bases to make sure that you can 
get as much money for your client as possible. And the only real way to get that money is through insurance policies. So you have to find as many insurance policies that could apply in a case like this that could be worth millions upon millions of dollars. As everyone knows, typical insurance policy is a million dollars. So now we have a car. Well, we know they came from bars as well. Bars also have insurance policies. They could be liable for this as well. So we have to make sure that we figure out where they went that night and if we can include them in this case. So Pat, when you're looking at a bar or a tavern and their negligence, what are you going to do to build your case against establishments like that? Yeah. I mean, with with commercial, we call that commercial host liability. And, and that's where you're going after a tavern because they overserve somebody alcohol. And we know under the Liquor License Act, uh, they're under requirement not to overserve someone because what can happen, obviously, is they can get in a vehicle and hurt themselves, hurt other people or hurt the passengers in their car. So you're going after them to see if they overserve them with alcohol. And that does require some investigation. Hence, Terry goes back to the bar and starts trying to develop and look at their patterns of the bar and how they serve people. Do they count the drinks? How do their waitresses work? And you get that type of investigation. And then as well, you get the opportunity to examine the bar and you look at their systems in place. Are you monitoring how much you're serving? Is the person visibly impaired? Do you have your waitress, you know, your bartender looking for blurry eyes or slurred speech or, or imbalance on the individual? Uh, they all follow what's called smart serve, and that's a standard in the practice. And you want to see if they're following those systems to see whether or not um, they're breaking the standard expected of them. And if you catch them and they're over-serving and the person's impaired, well, you got a much better case. Uh, but there's another piece of the puzzle here, too. And it means how much, how impaired was Karim? Like, we know that he had alcohol in his system. We get from the police records and sometimes hospital records, we get his blood alcohol readings. And then we take those readings and we find out on discovery, hey, Karim, how much did you eat that day? What you have for breakfast? What you have for lunch? What you have for dinner? Um, how many drinks do you say you had, Karim? And then you get that type of information is body weight. And is he a light, mild, or heavy drinker? And you give all that information along with the blood alcohol levels, and you give that to a person called a toxicologist. They're an expert. And they take all that, and they've been trained to go, okay, well, we've got all this information. Uh, we know what he did all this. Well, that means he would have been drinking this amount at this time. And they'll also say... At the time of the crash, uh, he would have been paired to this degree, meaning his ability, to, his perception time, his reaction time, his ability to turn, see, and things is impaired, and they allow you to build that case. So it's, that's part of this case as well. I mean, we haven't talked about that a lot, but that was going on too. So you added a toxicologist, an expert to the team. Um, is there any other experts that you look at when you're dealing with commercial hosts, like potentially dealing with whether or not the bar or tavern or the host was satisfactorily dealing with the smart serve standards you were talking about? Yeah, well, we all know that there's certain experts that we use on a repeated basis. There's one individual that we use as an expert that actually looks at the system of the bar. Um, they look at all the way that they run the bar, how they train their employees, how they train their bartenders, and they give an opinion as to whether or not they actually are in fact following the standard 
in the industry and they give opinion on that. So it sounds like you guys won establishing that Karim was the driver. Did you win on establishing that he was intoxicated and that a commercial host may have been responsible as well? We did. Well, we certainly established it to the extent that they paid us <laughs> <laughs> and that we were successful in the case. So yeah, we did. We put a lot of time and effort in that in order to, as Nick's indicated, uh, expose the insurance company to a settlement that was pretty significant for this young man. Yeah. And uh, another aspect of it is you build up that damages case. He already has significant damages. You get your experts, neurology, neuropsychology, orthopedics. They're all going to give opinions on how injured this poor guy is. And that gets then given to a future care expert that will then quantify how much care he'll need for the rest of his life. We have an accountant that quantifies how much his loss of income and earning capacity will be, I mean, he's never going to work again because of his injuries. And then we present a number that's in the millions upon millions of dollars. And because we got some lucky breaks on liability and we had our experts all lined up, we ended up exposing them on liability just enough that they knew that they would have to pay out on massive amounts of damages and we're really happy that we could get a good settlement for this guy because he does need it for the rest of his life. And and it, it was a really good outcome for us and for him. Yeah, it sounds like the team worked hard. And uh, when you work hard, good results sometimes happen. So, you know, at the beginning of this conversation, we talked about how risky this was. And Pat, what would be the outcome if you lost, you didn't win? Yeah, all these, th this case was risky. And you have to understand that all those people that we've talked about, uh, you know, Terry and the forensic engineer and the toxicologist and the person looking at the standards of the bar, uh, all those medical experts, they want money and they don't offer their opinions for free. And in order for us to get those opinions, we have to pay them not only to assess the client, but to fill out a, a report and provide it to the other side. And on top of other things that we pay out, it can accumulate to a large amount. We call those disbursements, by the way. But on a case like this, I'm pretty sure that on this one, I don't have in front of me, Lindsay, but we're about eighty to 100000 that we paid out to those experts in order to build the case. Obviously, it was a tough fight. So we certainly wanted to spend what we needed to win. And it would have been eighty to 100000 So if I lost this case and somebody believed that, hey, Antonio was driving as opposed to Karim, uh, then we have to eat that eighty to $100,000. It's gone. And on top of that, we never get paid for our time that we put, the whole team's time and all the energy they put into, we never get paid for that. We'd never ask uh, for a dime back from Antonio or his family. They had enough to deal with and that they were never going to get a legal bill from us regardless of the outcome of this case. Uh, fortunately, turned out in our way, helped Antonio and we were able to get paid. I'm glad you took it on, Pat and Nick. It sounds like uh, Antonio's got some security for his future. So that's all the time we have today. Thanks, Pat. Thanks, Nick, for coming on the show. Thanks, Lindsay. Thank you. For our listeners who are still listening now, if you have any questions about personal injury or a case you may or may not have, we're always happy to speak with you. You can reach us at 1-866-685-3311, or you can send us an email at info at mollp.com. Take care. Bye for now.